here. Boy, this weekend has been uh, full of uh, activity for uh, several of us. We had a father-son retreat, and uh, oh man, was that fun, and the weather was great for the most part. Rained a little bit Saturday or uh, Friday night, but uh, we couldn't complain. It was gorgeous, and God met us, and uh, it was exciting, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in my message this morning. We have been uh, looking at the greatest stories ever told this summer. And today is part three, where we'll look at David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. And uh, these stories are intended uh, to not only just be a story that we once heard, perhaps when we were a kid in uh, children's church or in Sunday school, but these stories have anointing over them. It's God's word. There's power. They're meaningful. They're not fairy tales. And there's application in these stories for each of us. As we've been going through these, we've been putting them online. And so far, if you've missed a service or two, uh, we want to encourage you to get online and listen to the story of Noah and the ark and how God uh, used Noah in a powerful way in that story. But then Noah honored God at the end of that story, and he received a promise. And that promise is good for us as well. And uh, really, really, I encourage you to listen to that message if you haven't done so yet. The same is true for Samson that we looked at last week, our imperfect hero, a guy that, that uh, had so many things going for him, but man, he messed up so many times. Uh, but God uh, honored him and uh, helped him. And uh, the, the lesson really wasn't from Samson's life, but the lesson was really from David's life, who we'll look at today as we wrapped up that sermon, was a lesson in humility that we, as God's people, need to continue to be humble, continue to be repentant, and uh, boy, we'll see that even today in David's life a bit. And so my heart is that each of these weeks Lord, will uh, just inspire you in your walk with the Lord. Now, David and Goliath has many different uh, angles that we could come at. We could talk about giants, and uh, it's interesting to do a little study on giants in the Bible. We're not going to do that this morning. We could talk about overcoming roadblocks or obstacles. We could talk about a childlike faith. We could talk about, in fact, I've heard a great sermon uh, considered preaching it uh, or modifying it of five stones, five smooth stones. Why five? And why did it only take one? And if it only took one, why did, why did he need the four others? And, and uh, we could look at that. We could look at testing God. But today, instead, when I sat with this story, as I looked at God, saying, God, speak to my heart. The thing that jumped out to me was that Goliath defied the God of Israel. He stood in front of the Israelites and opposed. And, I, and he, he stood in the way of Israel's future. And I want to look at what we face today. What defies our Heavenly Father today? What do we struggle with that keeps us from victorious living? What stands in our way as a culture that is anti-God? And then what do we do about it? And, and so that's where we're headed. 
just for those that have been pre-studying with me, and I've been telling you where we're going the next week. Each of these messages are a standalone message, but next week we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want you to read that if you, in your devotion, or find a time to read Daniel 3, and I pray that that will be a blessing to you as well. And I just want to challenge you this morning, as we go through this message, um, uh, that that you don't write me off until the end, okay? And maybe you can write me off then. But I believe what God really spoke to my heart uh, for us. I've never heard an approach looking at the story of David and Goliath in this way. But I, I believe that there's fresh application for us as a body of believers. Amen? And so, Lord, I just pray that you bless your word, that you would bless this message, and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. Just so you know, this morning, before I uh, get into the story, I am wearing a new pair of socks. (laughs) Yes, and I want to show you these socks because my wife was embarrassed by them, and I thought, uh, I thought that you would be interested. I am a couple weeks away from running my first marathon, and I have, as I've ran and uh, studied about marathon running, um, I found a tool that can help in the pursuit of running a marathon, and it's compression socks. And so I just show you these as a, yeah, I mean, don't lust over these too bad, but, um, but they're black. They do match my sock. And here we go. They, they, there they are. They keep on going. Yep, they keep on going. They keep on going, and there they are. All right, okay. And so <laughs> Jessica's trying to whistle at me, and uh, that it's, I appreciate that, honey. But I'm feeling good. They say, it says that it'll improve your running by 10 to 15%, and I said, well, goodness, I'm going to wear those preaching. It's ought to help me preaching as well. Yes, that's good. All right, so this story, get David and Goliath. There's a lot of history that comes into this story. Of course, we know that the Israelites were God's people, Yahweh's people. And so anytime we're reading in the Old Testament and talks about the Israelites, we know that God has his hand on them, and we understand that. Now, the Israelites, they were opposed by the Philistines. A Philistine, the people were rooted in Palestine, all right? And there was this ongoing problem with the Philistines and the Israelites. There was a constant struggle. Even in our story last week, who was against Samson? The Philistines. And so it was continuing throughout the ages. And by the time of Samuel, in this story, um, in 1 Samuel 17, we understand that the Philistines were the greatest military threat against Israel up to that time. They were a powerhouse. And among the Philistines was Goliath. And he was possibly, as I read and studied, he was possibly a hired mercenary to stand in front of the Israelites to intimidate. He was from Gath, but he was representing the Philistine army. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find that Goliath stands before the Israelites and defies them, defies the God of the Israelites. Now, Goliath, we understand, he was a giant, nine feet tall. 
Now, for most of us, uh, there's a room in our house that's probably around eight feet tall. That's pretty standard in most homes, unless you've got you know, cathedral ceilings. And, uh, and I used to, when I was a kid's pastor, we, our ceilings in our kid's ministry room was a, just over eight feet tall. And so we would try to you know, make a, you know, a giant when I would talk about this story, and just to give a, get a visual of how big nine feet tall is. And so if you, I mean, you stretch someone out, and it doesn't say that he was a string bean. He, if you're nine feet tall, proportionately, this was a huge, huge man, intimidating. And the Philistines, it's interesting about the Philistines, is they were the first not only to, to you know, hire this mercenary, the Goliath, so to speak, but they were also the first to use iron weapons and chariots and heavy, heavy infantry. And in fact, it talks in detail in this story about Goliath's armor. It's described. And what's, this armor was so big, it took one man to carry the shield for, for Goliath. And so you can just imagine the, the, how big and how strong and how intimidating. So we have God's people, the Israelites in the story. We have the Philistines represented by Goliath. And then there is David, one of the most prominent figures in the history of the world, not in just biblical history, but in the world. David is known for several reasons. One, for the amount of scriptures that he wrote, but then also the scriptures, the amount of scripture that was written about David. And what was interesting as well is that in Luke and in Matthew, it talks about David, the son of David, uh, that Jesus was uh, part of David's line and, and uh, was part of his heritage and his family. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it talks about David being a man after God's own heart. There were so many things about David that we could look at, but there was, just so you know, there were lots of noble deeds, high aspirations in his life, great accomplishments, and uh, David was a model. We talked about it at our men's retreat yesterday as we looked at, you know, the kind of men that we want to be as fathers. We talked about David being an example that we could follow. But what's great about David is that not only was he uh, incredibly hard after God, but there was, he also had this stained uh, uh, um, appearance as well, that he had these terrible sins that he struggled with as well. And many people would say, man, how could someone who wrote Psalm 23 also arrange to have Uriah the Hittite taken out and end up sleeping with his wife and all these things? But unlike Samson last week that we looked at, David, he humbled himself. He had a soft heart towards God. And one of my favorite psalms, and it might be yours as well, is Psalm 51. We won't take the time to read it, but let me just say, when you are, find yourself in a situation where you are caught in sin or where you are uh, you know, struggling in sin, turn to Psalm 51 and use David as an example. I'm telling you, I can't tell you why. There are so many times I've turned to Psalm 51 and just let those words sink into my heart, and it softens me. And I believe that it would do the same for you. Psalm 51, I, I love the part where it talks about his blood guilt, the guilt and the shame that David was carrying from killing Uriah, from stealing his wife. And, uh, it, but David humbled himself. Now, all of this things, all these things, 
uh, are about David's life. But let's talk about what was leading up to Psalm, or Psalm, one, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We know that David had been anointed to be the king of Israel. He was anointed, and that's a neat story in itself. So David was to be the king of God's people. And in 1 Samuel 16, David, uh, we find out he serves Saul. At that point, Saul had been tormented and was being tormented by evil spirits, it says. But he was serving Saul in, by coming in. He would, Saul would not have known him, but it's, David would have came in and played the harp, would have sang, would have uh, you know, did different things for, for Saul. And uh, so there was, he was in and out of the fields, so to speak. David's a shepherd primarily, but he's in the king's uh, courts singing, playing, and then he's back out in the sheep. And then 1 Samuel chapter 17 comes, and we get the picture of David and Goliath, the story that we all, I'm sure, are aware of. There's two military forces on two different hills with a valley of Elah in between, the Philistines against the Israelites. And Goliath challenges a duel for 40 days straight. Every day comes out, and let's turn there to 1 Samuel chapter um, 17, and let's look at what Goliath says. It says, then the Philistine, this is Goliath, he said this every day for 40 days. He said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And so Goliath would come out and he would challenge the people, challenge the army of God. And in the story, on this day, David is sent to refresh his brothers. So David leaves the sheep and on his way to give his brothers their goods from their father, David hears this challenge, a giant standing, saying, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. And they stood there. And what's interesting is David recognized that there was tremendous fear. Look at verse 24. It says, when the Israelites saw the man, Goliath, and as he did this, David noticed this. He says, all the Israelites ran from him in great fear. Verse 25 says, now the Israelites had been saying, and David picked up on this, he says, do you see this man keep, that keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills himself, and he will also give him the daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from the taxes in Israel. So David, at this point, a young man coming out, a shepherd, he comes out, he's bringing some goodies for his brothers, and he hears this challenge, and then he hears this promise from the king. And so not only is David processing in his mind what's at stake for the nation of Israel, but he's also thinking personally, wow, what's going on? And then we read, uh, as you get, kind of continue on, in verse 28, we see a dialogue between David and his brothers, and his brothers are not happy that David's even asking any questions about what's going on. But then look at verse 32, and let's read from 32 through 37, it's, and follow along with me. It says, David said to Saul, he says, look, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant, I will go and fight him. 
I love it. David, young man, says, I will go. And Saul replied, you are not able to go against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. Not, you know, not alone is he a boy and he's been here forever. He's a giant. He's huge. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping the father's sheep. When a lion and bear came to carry off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized him by the hair and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed the lion and the bear and the tigers. Oh my, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And in verse 37 says, The Lord who delivered me, David saying, from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. David was confident in who God was at that moment. So they dress him up in armor and he says, no, this is not going to work out. David picks up five smooth stones, heads out, goes to fight Goliath, and listen to what Goliath says in verse 43. And you can just imagine this in your mind. A ginormous man, nine feet tall, huge in stature, a boy coming out to fight him, and he says this to David. He says, am I a dog that you would come with me, come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He says, come here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, he says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and your guy holding your shield and all these things, a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, awesome, who you have defied. And he said, this day I will give you, I will hand you over you the lord will hand you over to me and i will strike you down and cut off your head i love that he's confident today i will give your carcass to the philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a god in israel amen and amen listen to verse 47 and all those who gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give us all into your hands. Amen? Amen. It's awesome. The confidence that David had as Goliath stood and defied the, the armies of Israel. David had great confidence in that God would help him to overcome the giant. Now, what gripped me about this story is that there's this giant that is defying God. He's standing against, he's opposing God's people. And as I sat with that and I asked, how does this relate to us today? I asked the question, what stands in our way as we pursue God? What stands in your way as you pursue God? What stands in our face today that defies the Lord? What things in our culture do we deal with? What defies us as God's people? And I went on a little journey, um, making some phone calls, talking with even some of you, and I asked people, 
I said, I'm studying this story, and, and it talks about Goliath defying the people of God. He's defying God. What is in our way? And over and over, there were two things that kind of emerged in the story, uh, or in, in the minds of people that I would ask. And I'll just, it kind of boiled down to two things, and I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but the two common things that we all, that, that, that kept on surfacing were sex and money. And you're saying, David and Goliath, sex and money. Where are we going with this? But let me try to explain. The world system for these two things, sexuality and money, defy God's word and God's plan for us. And I want to look at these. The first one I want to look at is, is sex and promiscuity. I was with a, a counselor not too long ago, that, and I was talking about um, pre-marriage sex and uh, how prevalent it is in our society. And, uh, and the counselor said, you know, he's like, there are more and more people that he sees for pre-marriage counseling that are sexually active. He said it's very rare to see uh, a, a young man and a young woman that have saved themselves for marriage. And it just kind of gripped me. Now, my wife and I, by God's grace, and I would say it's by God's grace, we were virgins when we got married. But there were a lot of temptations that surrounded that. And so I can understand and I can relate to some of those feelings. But I'll tell you, our culture just screams this prom promiscuity. And then you look at adultery in our society, whether it's emotional adultery or physical adultery. You look at lust and you look at the, the powerhouse of pornography and the way it affects families and individuals. And you put all these things together and the world system is totally against God's word and what God's word would have for us. Some of the other things that came up as I asked, what is it that defies the, our God in our culture today? And some of the things a couple people said, well... How about the homosexual agenda? And how true is it that, that the, uh, you know, they want us to believe that it's okay to be homosexual in our society, that they can blend in and that there's no difference, and that God just looks at that as okay. And then media, when it comes to dating and just glorifying sinful behavior as a whole when it comes to sexual things. And my guess is that all of us are faced with challenges at one point or another in these areas. The second thing is money. I believe it's a fact that how we choose to spend our money matters to God. I really believe that. But our culture, the things that, we, uh, that, is so, that, that are so prevalent in our culture when it comes to money, I believe defies God's word. And, uh, and it may not be sin necessarily, as sometimes it is, but it's certainly not the wise choice to buy now and pay later. And I don't care what kind of uh, area, whether it's vacations or cars or furniture, certainly consumer debt with credit cards. The Bible speaks against co-signing loans, and boy, we see that all over the place. The idea with money is that we are, uh, are self-gratifying ourselves. 
It's all about self-fulfillment. And there are choices to give or to keep. And, and, uh, and then there's the debate of how much is enough. In our culture, um, there is a pursuit of money, that money equals status, or money equals uh, um, you know, certain things in our lives. And it's anti-God's Word in many cases. The whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, I believe, affects most people in our culture today. What someone else has, what someone else is able to do. And God's Word is clear about financial matters. There is wisdom for us to follow in God's Word. The world's way stands in the way of God's plan. And my guess is, is that all of us, at one point or another, are faced with challenges in these areas. There are a lot of other things that stand in our way in our culture as well. Things that relate to relationships and business and family and our health. But I want to just focus in on these couple things. Our sexual nature and then also in money. I believe that we are called to be different, to stand against the patterns of the world. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, because right in Romans chapter 12, there is a crystal clear mandate for us. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. I love that verse. But then verse 2 says this. It says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, what it is, His good, pleasing, perfect will. I was challenged in this area in regard to spending money uh, several years back. I was out to eat with my life insurance guy. He was paying for lunch, and he took me to a really nice restaurant. Um, it just must give you the idea of uh, how much he thought of me because our account was like nothing to him, but he really cared for us in Mark Morris. And uh, we were out, and he started to talk about money and about how we are not to conform to the patterns of this world. And he started to share with me that for him and in his household, he decided to only use cash or check, never to use a credit card. Now, this is a few years before Dave Ramsey really came on the scene and, and was uh, you know, really encouraging that way to use debit cards, so, so on and so forth. But it challenged me. And he pulled out a $100 bill to pay for lunch after we had talked about that. So not only was he talking about it, he was backing it up with, with you know, he wasn't just, you know, lip service. And he pulled out a $100 bill and he said, and, and he, he said something to the server. He said, uh, he said, hey, and it was, a, it was a guy, as I remember, he said, hey, how many people would you say pay with cash for lunch at this establishment? And the guy said, boy, I don't know. He says, you know, but a lot of people, <laughs> more people pay with credit card than with cash. And it was the, he was driving home the point that the pattern of the world is to pay for it, you know, on credit and pay it off or, or who knows how long you'll pay for it. And it kind of just gripped me in that area of my life. The Bible says to not conform to the patterns of this world. 
There are so many illustrations that I could bring when it comes to our sexual natures that, the, that uh, is so prevalent in our society. The things we allow ourselves to watch. There's, the world's way is drawing us. It's tempting us. It's prevalent. Whether it's movies and, and the sexual innuendos that are in those, or the fact that, that there's, you know, with money, that everyone is going out for ice cream after the game, and we just got to go, and we don't have the money, but we're going we're gonna to go. Otherwise, we're going to be outsiders, so to speak. And the fact is that all of us, there's a, something inside of us that we want to fit in. And I can relate to that, and I'm sure you can. We're, you know, with young families all the time, you know, because of our kids and with sports or different activities uh, at school or even here at church. And there are times that we have to say we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. For example, yesterday, it would have been more convenient for me, just to give you an example, to park or just to drive to the park with the, with the guys and to pay to get in to the, uh, to the Kirk Park where we were spending the afternoon as, with the father and son retreat. But we had made provision to park outside and then you know, have a bus kind of take us in. For me, that was the right choice. <laughs> we really didn't have the extra cash to do that. And you say, man, that's such a small thing. It would have been so much easier just to drive in. I would have had water and uh, Rich ended up having to get his water out and, uh, I, and, and it was just all these things. But there's choices and we want to fit in and sometimes we, we really you know, harp on the kids, peer pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure, you know, say no to this, say no to that and as young people. But how many know as adults there is peer pressure to keep up with others or to allow uh, things in our lives or, or to go to places that, that we might not, not, at one point may have said, no, I would never go there, but now we do, or certain things like that. And how many of you know we want our kids to be well-liked and to fit in? And so there's this pressure. Are we going to keep up? Are we going to do this or that? And it leads us all to the question that we have to answer. Is it really necessary to stand out? Is it really necessary to stand out? Is it really that big of a deal? And the result in my life and in our lives is compromise. Maybe it starts in our thoughts, compromise. And it moves over to our actions, compromise. Our morals start to erode, compromise. And before you know it, there is very little difference between us in the world. And it's scary. The statistics for divorce are no different in the church from outside of the church. That's one example. It's prevalent. It, there are things that tempt us. There are things that, that are, we allow in the area of sex and money that we allow in our lives. Now, let's go back to the story for a second. King David. Do you think that the Israelite army knew that the Philistines, not only were they opposing them from a military standpoint, but do you think that they knew that the Philistines opposed their God? Absolutely. There was no question that that part of the war was a war against the gods, so to speak. And they 
were afraid, the Israelites were afraid to stand up and challenge the Philistines. They did not trust their God in that circumstance and stand up for what was right, for what they knew God could do. And my question is, how many Christians are afraid to stand up for what is right? Doing the right thing or the wise thing in regards to sexuality and the way we spend our money. The good news is that we can stand up against the patterns of the world like David did. I believe that with all my heart. But we have to teach it. We have to live it. And that's what the father-son retreat was about. It was the, kind of the idea, what does a boy need to know to be a man? And what does every man need to know to, 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 uh, to uh, teach a young man? And the fact is, is that men need to talk to other men about these areas of sex and money. But not only to talk about it, give it lip service and say, hey, this is what God's word says. We need to live it in front of our sons, in front of our families. And that's difficult. And the same is true for women. It doesn't matter. We need to teach it. We need to to live it. But it will take a backbone. It takes guts to trust in God and to do what is right in a culture that is going this way. And in many cases, it seems like God's way is exactly against it. It takes guts. We can challenge the enemy's plans in our lives when it comes to immorality, promiscuity, in our marriages, in dating, with our flirting, so what, uh, whatever in, in those areas of sexuality. We can challenge the enemy's plans in our lives when it comes to spending in how we uh, uh, approach business with unbalanced scales or our integrity, what, what it takes to get ahead. We can pass down good practices to our kids and to our young adults and even back to our parents. Certainly our singles can live set apart. There's a theological term uh, that we talk about in Connect 101 called sanctification. And it's the process of being set apart. And that's what God has called us to do. And like David, we can trust God to help us in these huge areas of our lives. And God wants us to do that. But how do we do it? Well, I believe we do it by knowing who we are in Christ. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We were here a couple weeks ago. We flipped here. And uh, I just came back to it this week as, we were, we were, as I was studying. Listen to who we are. It says, but you, put your name there, but Ben is a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God. Put your name there. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are God's sons and daughters that you may declare the praises of him. And then listen, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, into his wondrous light. Out of darkness is what God calls us to do. How do we do that? How do we stand up against the challenges of this world? 
We know who we are. We are a chosen people, set apart. We are called out of darkness into light to stand against the patterns of this world. The world's way defies God's plan. And we are to stand firm in God's word and what God calls us to do. Now, there's a promise that comes with that. There's a promise of protection and a promise of prosperity. It will save you grief and pain in your life if you listen to God's word. There's promises, over 7,000 of them, in fact. And the ultimate promise is that there will be victory. And David knew that, is if, that, that if he would stand up against the giant, that God would give him the victory. And you know the end of the story of David and Goliath. He goes out and these, you know, runs towards him, whips the stone, it hits him, it goes right into his skull, knocks him over, he cuts off his head, and Goliath is killed. There was victory that day for not only David, but for the people of God. And they were able to advance, and the Philistines ran in fear. And the same will happen when we decide to stand up against what God has called us to do. And we are confident in God as we approach those things in our culture that are so prevalent, that are so scary as parents uh, when when we're dealing with our kids. And when we stand up and say, no, or we're not going to do this, or we're not going to spend here, we're not going to allow this. We're going to talk about it. Our goal for you is the Word of God as we involve our kids, show our kids there will be victory. There's victory. It's a promise. And God wants us to rest in that, to know His ways. I want to talk just for a second about those that have messed up in these areas. Because it's prevalent. It's in the church, and that's okay. We understand that. We, we want to surround our, those that, have, that are hurting in those areas with love. There's forgiveness. God calls us, no matter where we are, to be like David. And that's why I love this story. I love David's heart, is to turn from our sin and to repent and to know that God forgives and that to know how big God's grace is in your life. His grace is waiting. And I'll tell you, sin can mess with people for a long time. And there are people that will go through life because of things, choices, and it will affect them for years. But let me say, if you can come to God in a humble manner, and to know and to soften your heart and say, God, please forgive me. He cleans it. He cleans your slate. Now, there's consequences many times. and There's things to deal with, and we understand that. But God is calling us as a people of God to ask for forgiveness, to turn from our evil ways, to turn from the, the, the patterns of this world, and to live for Him. To live in his grace. And my heart is that for each and every one of us, as a church collectively, even, that we would be people of God, that we would be called sons and daughters with a heart after God. 
even in a world that is totally against what God's word says. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. The way we turn from our wicked ways is to ask for forgiveness. And uh, it's very possible that you are here this morning and you are living in sin, maybe in even regards to these couple areas of with the way you spend your money or in, in a sexual nature, or maybe other areas of your life that are unpleasing to God. And whether you're coming back to the Lord or maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, God wants you to humble yourself and to ask for Him to forgive you this morning. He does not want you to walk out of here holding on to the past, to the sin of this world. And so this morning, I'm going to ask, and with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if you are here this morning and you are dealing with sin, and you are dealing with an area or more, or one or two areas of your life that are unpleasing to God, you know you need to get your life right with God. I want you just to just boldly slip up your hand. And we're, I'm not going to point you out or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah. Who else? Yeah, lots of people. My Lord. God, help us today. Who else? Yeah, as we pray here in just a moment. God, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, God. You know, it takes a lot of guts even to raise your hand in front of a pastor. I, I understand that. But if you're here and you're struggling, don't go another moment without saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Help me. That's what we're here for. That's what the church is for. Anyone else saying, yep, that's me. Pray for me. Include me in that prayer that's about to come. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Anyone else? Yeah. Lots and lots of hands. You know, that's a sign of our times. It's a sign of, of uh, the world. And I just want to say God's grace is big enough for you. I said it yesterday at the men's retreat the father-son retreat, that there is nothing in this world, and you need to hear this, that can make God love you any less. There's nothing you've done. His love is perfect. On the flip side, there's nothing that you can do to, love, to make Him love you anymore. His love is complete. It's perfect. We don't have to earn it. But we can receive His forgiveness by simply asking. And I want to just take a moment and pray for those that lifted their hands. And would you encourage those that lifted their hands? And would we all repeat this uh, simple prayer uh, together? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my past, for the things I've done. You know what I've done. And I give it to you. Please purify my heart. Cleanse me, Lord. Make me new. Come into my life and abide in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiveness, God. 
thank you for second chances, for third and fourth and fifth chances. God, that your grace is enough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As I prayed that simple prayer, I just felt in my spirit that there was there is a weight of guilt that has been lifted off several people. But you are free. You are free to go to live the way God has intended you to live. Whether you found yourself in an affair, whether you have spent all of your money and beyond, you are free. You're a clean slate. Now, there may be things that you have to do, consequences, but God has forgiven you completely. And I want you to know that not only has God forgiven you, but you can forgive yourself. That God will give you the grace to allow you to sit with yourself and say, okay, I'm okay. That was powerful. Thank you, Lord. The last piece I want to just talk about is standing for God's ways. Taking a stand in a culture that is very difficult. And I'm not here to say what's right and what's wrong uh, unless it's crystal clear in God's word. How many know there's things in God's word that, you know, they're, they're, that are that are gray. It's like, okay, you know, can I do this? Can I not do this? Or um, and, and there's a fear and trembling that comes as we serve God that we need to, to take those things before the Lord. And is it okay for my family? Is it okay? And, and I'm not talking about those things. But to take a stand when it's crystal clear in regards to integrity with money or overspending or debt or uh, in the areas of, of money. And then the same thing with with uh, sexual things to take a clear cut no questions this is God's word and try to live in those ways and if you're here this morning and say you know I would like to live in God's truth in these two areas in my sexuality and, and with the way I spend and utilize money I want you to know that the only way that happens is by finding yourself in God's word and asking the Holy Spirit for his help. And I don't want to embarrass anyone. <laughs> and, uh, and my guess is if I asked you to stand, saying, yes, if that's me, if that's you, stand. My guess is all of us would stand. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm not going to ask you to stand. But I want to challenge us in these final moments to not just bust out of here to the beach or to out to eat or wherever you're headed today without spending some time reflecting on these two areas of your life. And where you need help, I want to encourage you to ask God for help, but then to maybe even seek out someone that can help keep you accountable in these areas. 
We have financial counselors in the church that would love to walk with you and to help you to be more accountable in your spending or in your money. We also have uh, licensed counselors in the church that could walk with you if there are areas of your life that you're struggling with sin in a sexual nature. And if you're saying, I, I couldn't talk to someone in the church, we have a list of counselors, professionals outside of the church, people that would never know as well. There are people I could recommend. There may be people that you know. But get the help that you need. Because Satan, it talks about later in 1 Peter, that he roars or he uh, roams around the earth seeking who he can devour. He hates your guts and he would love to get a foothold in these two areas in your life. But we can stand strong like David, amen? We can stand against the culture. And when the culture says, we defy the word of God or the way we're going to live, we can stand up and say, not in my house, not in our church. And, uh, and I believe that God will give us the grace to do that, amen? Let me pray a prayer blessing. And then if you need special prayer for anything, we would love for you to come. We'll anoint you with oil. If there's sickness or, or a situation that you're needing prayer for, we would love to pray with you. But let me pray a prayer blessing. Lord, I pray right now for your people. Lord, for each one that's here that has heard this message. God, I pray that you would just pour out a blessing in their lives a revelation knowledge that they can do it. They can stand against the world's patterns. And Lord, that you can help them, that you can, uh, you can help all of us, Lord, to live according to your plans. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the strength and the courage to face the, the things that are very difficult in our lives. And Lord, where we've made mistakes, I pray that you would... Um, provide grace and mercy. Lord, I know we don't deserve it, but you have offered for us to walk away this morning free of guilt, free of shame. And Lord, we thank you. I speak that over each one here. And God, help us as a body to make good choices, to love you with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds. Lord, let it be said that we would be a people with a heart after you. Thank you for David's life. Lord, I'm personally thankful that his life wasn't perfect. And I'm so thankful for his humility to say I'm sorry. Lord, let us go with this message, with this great story. And let it sink into our hearts in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you need prayer for anything, we want you to come. And if, and if you need to go or want to talk, make it out in the hallway. But the altars are open, and uh, we want to challenge you to come and spend some time with the Lord.